Ephesians, the fourth chapter again. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, reads this way in verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and we have a listing in 1st Corinthians chapter 12 we'll start with verse 27 uh, through 31 it says now you are the body of Christ and members in particular and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. And then he questions. He said, are all apostles? Now what's he talking about here? He's talking about the body of Christ. He's asking the question. Is everybody in the body of Christ an apostle no these are ministry gifts but he gave some apostles and he says are all prophets is everybody in the body of Christ a prophet no that's different from the gift of prophecy this prophet is talking about a ministry gift as they call it the, the five-fold ministry gift and then he says are all teachers well we know that's true because there's some people that just cannot teach the word I mean they're they're not gifted in that area this is not talking about Sunday school teacher and then he says are all workers of miracles well no have all the gifts of healings no do all speak with tongues no well I wish Paul would have explained that because this is talking about the ministry gift of tongues. It's not talking about your gift that you got when you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, which is your prayer language. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, the four diversities of tongues. And he said that do all interpret? No. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and I will show you unto you a more excellent way, which we know the very next verse is the uh, chapter of love in 1 Corinthians 13. So these are talking about ministry gifts I can't express that enough this is not just talking about everybody in the body of Christ now I have at your in your paper there a, a dissection of the five gifts of the apostle the prophet evangelist pastor and teacher and then he says in, in Ephesians 4 he says these are given for the perfecting of the saints which is the equipping or the maturing of the saints of the people that are born again people that are in the kingdom of God it's they're given for the perfecting and we're going to we're going to break down that word in a minute next week's lesson is pretty much covering that particular thing now he says uh, then he said list here at 1st Corinthians 12 helps and governs and this this these two gifts, these two offices are for the work of the ministry. 
Now, the way that since I went to Ramah in 1979, the way that people presented these passages was that the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, was all of them were given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. They've lumped all that together as that is our job as one of the fivefold offices. That's the standard way that that's been taught in the charismatic world, Pentecostal charismatic world. But that is not accurate because the, the fivefold gifts are given for the perfecting, the maturing, the equipping of the church. Then we have two more offices that have been far neglected, which are called helps and governments. Those two are for the work of the ministry. The word work is the Greek word ergon. It means a thing done. And, and we, we, have, we have an English word which we have in our society called ergonomics. Ergonomics is an applied science concerned with the designing and arranging of things people uh, use so that, they, so that the people and things interact efficiently. So these two offices, they're just as qualified, they're just as called, they are just as important as the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Just as important. Although they have been relegated to other things, I'm going to straighten that out here uh, in this teaching and, and show you exactly what those two offices are for. And then, of course, we have the third gift, which is one, but it has four parts, the diversities of tongues. This particular gift is the one given for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's not my job to edify you, although it's been presented that way. I can't edify you. Uh, th this gift, it says in Jude 20, that we need to pray in the Holy Ghost, that keep building yourself up. It's the same word as edify, same word translated. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. That's talking about tongues. Tongues, your language that you own, your very own prayer language. We're not talking about these three others that we're going to mention in a minute. That very, your very own private prayer language is the mechanism that the Holy Spirit uses to build you up, to edify you, to get you stable in life. Without that component, you are very limited in your growth in the kingdom of God. That you're very limited in that you're going to have to rely on people like myself teaching you something about the word and you accepting it as truth. That's very dangerous. That's what's got the church in the condition it's in worldwide. It's because this little gift of tongues has been relegated to just a shandai that you get when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost and it's, not, and it's left alone. But it's meant to utilize every day uh, as much as you can or want to so that the Holy Spirit can begin then the great teacher can step up to the to the teaching board to the whiteboard and begin instructing you in your growth in the kingdom of God that's his job not mine I am a teacher we're going to get into that I'll tell, I'll tell you a lot of the times I'm going to mention this now so in case I forget later is that the, that the office of pastor and teacher many times are combined I know that I can walk in that of an, uh, that calling of a pastor, especially now, because God 
has gifted me to love you. You say, well, aren't we supposed to all love everybody? Yeah, we are. But when you have the calling of a pastor, it, it's an automatic thing. You see, I have a desire in me. I was just praying for you today, all of you, though, even those that are not here. I was just praying for you today. And the Lord has impressed upon me that, and he does every time, to make you feel loved. That's my job. That's my job as a daddy. I ask my daughters often, do you feel loved today? Do I make you feel loved? And of course, their sweet little reply is, yes, daddy, you do. So that's my job. The pastor is like a father-like one. See, He's not supposed to be a corporate head and in charge and all these things that everybody's wanted it to be. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that quite a bit at some point. But I want to recommend this to you. And one of you can be so uh, blessed to borrow this if you'd like. But this is Brother Hagen's teaching on the ministry gifts. If somebody would like to borrow that, you're welcome to. Uh, I, I have another one in a notebook form. But uh, he goes into a, quite a detail. He, he doesn't talk about the helps in the governments like I do. But uh, I, I believe he, he inferences it enough that it, it doesn't contradict what he's saying there. So this little, this little gift of, uh, of, of, of tongues is for edification, the edification of the church. Uh, it, this, this little gift of tongues uh, uh, it is for edifying. It's instructive. It's informative in a way that improves the mind and the character of a person. In other words, build you up. It makes you strong. It makes you stay in the love of God. See, that's the very next verse verse 21 of Jude he says keeping notice how he says that there but ye beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost keeping keeping that's an ongoing that's a continual present tense word that's an ongoing thing keeping you in the love of God so that's what this little gift is designed to it'll build you up it'll keep you in the love of God you begin to get so sensitive that you won't even want to say one word out of the way to anyone because your spirit will be grieved. See, when you get to that point, you know, maybe not now, but as you begin to be edified and built up in him, you'll begin to take on Jesus' attitude about everybody. Does that make sense? You'll begin to see people the way he does. You'll begin to see people uh, that are not lovely, you know what I mean by that? I'm not talking about looks. I'm talking about people that's mean and nasty. Yeah. You'll begin to see them the way he does, and he loves them. See? Now, the verse, as I've written in your notes here, you can, you can read there. Uh, diversity of tongues is the most significant of all other operations of God. It's the most significant. It is the one that is 24-7. It is the one that is with you at all times. It's more important than an apostle because you only see an apostle during a, or during a meeting, possibly. You only see a prophet at a meeting. I've seen people by the thousands flock to see Brother Hagin and watch him prophesy and hoping that he'll prophesy over them. That just shut my... <sighs> 
help us, dear God. Uh, I guess I'll have to sit for another hour tomorrow and tape it. <laughs> but anyway, I thought I had that turned off. Uh, where was I? What was my last statement? See whether you're listening or not. Say, so, preacher, if you can't remember, we can't. Yeah, hoping that they were prophesying about them. Now, Brother Hagen did prophesy uh, to many, many people, and people would flock together. Uh, and I and I always tried to get down to the front row for the same effect, but uh, it never worked. I'd watch him prophesy over somebody standing right next to me, and I'd say, "What am I, chopped liver?" You know. But anyway. This little gift is incredibly important in the sphere of the operations of God. And as we've told you before, this little diversities of tongues means exactly that. There's differences in them. We know what the edification one is. That's your own private language. You turn on at will whenever you want to, no matter whether you feel it or not. Some Pentecostal people will not turn it on until they feel a chill bump. One lady said one time, and I was mean, she said, well, preacher, I can't pray in tongues unless I'm crying. I said, well, somebody get me a hammer. <laughs> we can fix that right now. But you see, that, that's, that is one of the deception about this, is that people won't do it unless they feel spiritual. Listen, I lay in there and pray in tongues and think about tractors, I mean, everything you can think of, and I don't feel a thing, but I'm keeping on. I'm keeping on because I know it's my spirit that's benefited, see. I'm being edified, see. Many is the time, after I get my mind quiet, many is the time the Lord will tell me to put something, post something on Facebook. He did that today. Just while I just interrupted my prayer and said, you need to put something on there today, and, so, and I did. But, uh, but, but it's so incredibly important uh, we, we have tongues for edification. We have tongues that extends itself into the deep intercessional groans. Uh, I've actually witnessed that and seen people actually get into uh, uh, making sounds that they couldn't even put words to, not even tongues. It just comes out just as a groan. Well, that's when you get into intercession. You can't turn that on when you want to. If you could, I would. Because I, I know people, I know some of you that are experiencing some, some problems or some obstacles in your life, and I would just turn it on and intercede and get that off of you, see. But I, I can't do that. I can't force the issue. And then we have tongues uh, for interpretation. That is for a public assembly. When someone stands up and gives a word out in tongues, someone else should, or them, should stand up and, and interpret what that tongue is, see. You can't turn that on and off. And then, of course, the fourth kind is the tongues for the convincing of the unbeliever. That's when God has anointed you and moved this gift of tongues to the, to the level where that you can preach or prophesy in a language that you are not accustomed to speaking. You can speak in German, Spanish, French, Zimbabwean, or whatever it is down whatever Hindu or Hulu or whatever. See, and that's, that you can't turn that on, Will. I hate that I know that because I have tried. I have, I have prayed over little Guatemalan people in tongues hoping that they were understanding what I was saying, but they just look at you, you know. 
They'll holler for an interpreter, and I'll say, never mind. But, uh, so though, those are so precious and so valuable, but they've been relegated. Did you realize that there's a large portion of the body of Christ today on the earth that do not believe this? I mean, if, if they are so integral, I mean, let's look at this for a, for a moment. Let's just back, I told you we're probably not going to get done, so who cares? Let's look at the five gifts again, the five ministry gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. If they are given for the equipping of the church, think about if only the pastor and evangelist are the only recognized gifts in the church that you attend. If they're the only recognized one, there's going to be a lot left out of your life because you're not going to be equipped in certain areas, see. I, I would love to get into a full in-depth teaching on the ministry gifts. I'm, I'm not sure we'll have the opportunity, but uh, like I said, you can go to Rama's website and, and order that book right there. Uh, but, but it's very, very good. An apostle, I, ha I have a little, a little more understanding about what an apostle is than I did when I graduated from Rama, and that is because we were told, and, and I believe this, that, that the apostle is usually the trailblazer. He's usually the one that pioneers a church and sets the foundation and gets the church established and then moves on, sets a pastor in, and moves on. I've done that four times. But I really don't call myself an apostle. Uh, truth be known, it was because me and my wife were fussing and arguing all the time, and so we went moved to a different place to do it all over again. Maybe that it would be different. And so I was young, stupid, ignorant, and didn't know. So a lot of people say, well, you must be an apostle. No, I said I was just desperate. So, uh, but, but usually an apostle is that. But see, I think primarily, and this is why I believe that we need an in-house apostle here. Uh, and I know I step into that role at times. But the reason we, every church needs an apostle, a resident apostle, maybe he's not there all the time, he goes out and itinerates or whatever, is that because that man is primarily responsible for doctrinal purity. See how important that is? I mean, people that believe in the Word of God wrong is not going to get results. And so it's the devil's duty to mess that kind of thing up. Think about the prophet. You know, a prophet doesn't foretell like they did in the, in the Old Testament. The, a, pro, a New Testament prophet foretells. F-O-R-T-H. Foretells. Doesn't foretell, but he foretells. So, and, and like I said, we'll get into this a little more here. But, uh, but if, if these things were, if these offices were left out of commission, uh, you, you definitely would not... Uh, be matured. You would not be uh, equipped. Let's put, use that word instead of matured. I, I like what one minister said about this. It's real funny. He said, you know, I've found out since I've been preaching so long, he said, most Christians manure instead of mature. <laughs> it is so true. It is. <laughs> and you can spot them. <laughs> but, uh, but then, that, therefore, let's look at the helps in governments then. Now, those have been relegated. Helps has been, the, the office of helps has been relegated to somebody that cleans the church. 
somebody that just goes around. In fact, the, the and we'll, we'll make this clear later, but in fact, they're usually called deacons. Well, they just help. They pass the bucket, you know, <laughs> different things that a deacon does. Help us, dear God. I, I, my, my mind is just racing with, with stories I've heard about deacon fights. You ever had deacon fights here at Cross Point? <laughs> I mean, I, I've heard some, some, some doozies. Now, I want you to look at verse 13 here in Ephesians 4. It says, till, it's the word until, we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Now notice these four things here. He, un, until what? The, the word until is, is kind of kataneo, which means definite, uh, basically to arrive, or let's put it this way, to place. To place. Jesus gave these gifts as he ascended from the, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember the angel stood there with him and said, what are you guys gazing up there? He's coming back the same way. Well, when he rose, he, and I know this is not, I'm trying to practically put something that spiritually happened. So I'm going to, I'm going to say it this way. It, it's like he rose, when he, when he ascended, he threw these gifts down back to the earth. It's almost like he threw them down. And so, that's when he gave. And isn't it interesting that it was after he led captivity captive that he, when, he, when he ascended, he gave these gifts unto men. Hallelujah. He has not left us without a way to accomplish his job, his work, his mission, his goal for this earth. He's left us in charge. But we've been hoodwinked about these offices and so we've been stymied or we've been uh, held back from growing. But he says, until we are placed there, until we have the unity of the faith. Benotes. Benotes is unity. It means agreement or unanimity. Now, right there is something that is definitely needed in, in a lot of local churches. Unity of the faith. I mean, I know people inside a church, a local church, that disagree on what they believe about God. There's no unity of the faith there, see. And then it says the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Epignosis. It's not just gnosis, which is knowledge. It's epignosis, which means precise, complete, thorough knowledge of the Son of God. And then unto a perfect which word, the word is teleos. It, it's mature. It's translated mature in places. But more specifically, uh, it is definitely a, uh, a word which means brought to its end or a completion. So God's wanting not only us to be completed in him, but he's wanting his mission completed. He's wanting what he's called us to do completed. See? Now, now here we are, a church worldwide that, that many people are not mature enough to go out and do what God's placed in them to do. See, they're not, they have no confidence. They, they're, they're still shy, and they're, uh, most of them not baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and, and being able to pray themselves into the presence of God and, and get taught by the Holy Ghost. And
And then fourthly, obtaining our measure of the fullness of Christ. This word measure is, is the word which means portion or the limit. We all have a measure of the gift of Christ. We have a measure and we make up the portion of the whole. You see, it's like a little sliver of pie. That is just a measure of it. But if everybody puts their measure together, it makes one whole pie, one whole entity. And so that's what we need to understand, that we need to obtain our portion. Our portion has a limitation. I am not the pastor of everybody in Moreland. I'm the pastor here. See, that's my limitation. See, does that, does that clear it up a little bit? So that, that's what we're, we're in this for. Now, as I said here, number two under B here, the purging process is through this one gift as well. Tongues, edification, the purging process. And I have written down here on my paper, John 15. It would be really good to read that again. Read John 15, talking about the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. Any man that abides in me, my words abide in him. He asks what he will. And God will give. Well, that, that is called the purging. Every branch, Jesus said, in me that does not bear fruit is purged. See? So that he can bring more fruit. Or it's taken away. You say, yeah, but why would he take people away? A lot of people have used this to prove, you know, that uh, you, you can lose your salvation. Well, I know you can get rid of it if you want to. But you're not just going to wake up one morning and find out you've lost your salvation like you've lost your car keys. You know, it has to be a, an on-purpose deal to get in that. So, so he's not talking about that. The branches that are non-productive and, in fact, a branch that is on a plant that will not produce must be cut or else it will sap the strength and energy from that plant so that it can't produce the other fruit that it is bearing. You say, yeah, but what are those? Those are things like uh, being irritable, uh, different aspects about our life that doesn't line up with the Word of God and His will and, and His love. It's basically not walking in love. These things that hinder us. These weights, these incumbences on our lives, the Holy Spirit will purge those away from us, you see. And it's done through and by this little gift of tongues, your edification, tongue. So First Timothy, or 2 Timothy 2, 19-22 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver but also of wood and of earth and of some to honor and some to dishonor if a man therefore purge what himself, himself. ain't that something didn't say if a man will let god purge him it said if a man will purge himself from these he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified and meet for the master's use that means ready equipped Johnny on the spot so to speak for the master's use and prepared unto every good work flee also youthful lusts but follow righteousness faith charity peace and with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart so that is the purging, if a man purge himself. So there is a self-purging, meaning that you get the word of God in revelation form in your spirit, and you begin to know how to walk. 
You, need, you begin to know how to take authority over that body that you're walking in when it wants to get angry and complain or argue or whatever it is, and you say, no, I'm purged from that, and you're not going to do that. That's purging yourself from those things. Let's see. So, but but the, the things that are deep-seated into our heart that are hindering the work of God, that are there maybe from decades of hurt, that are there from experiences you've had in the past, that there's no way that you can dig it out yourself. Through that little gift of tongues and you giving yourself to it and praying extensively in tongues, he will root those things out of you and cut that off and it will no longer hurt. You'll be able to remember it. I mean, you're not an idiot. You can remember the occasion, but it won't hurt anymore. And that is the purging of the Holy Spirit. So, and then, of course, Romans 8, 13, he says, If you live after the flesh, you're, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now, now do I need to say this again? What spirit is it talking about there in, in chapter 8, verse 13? What is the spirit there? Your huh? Your spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. If it, like I said, and I'm sorry, folks. I mean, I labor over this in my prayer chamber because I say, Father, I don't want to say these things again. But he has me go back over this all the time. We probably need it. Imagine that. If it was the Holy Spirit that is mortifying the deeds of our body, we would just sit back and never sin because it would be his responsibility. But it's not his. He says, if you, if you, through the Spirit, through your Spirit, do mortify. So you see, you can get a glimpse here of how this little gift of tongues works in conjunction with, that, with your Spirit and roots out those things. You mortify the deeds of the body. You're going to rise up against it. Mortification. We get our word mortar from there. You lay a, 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 some bricks, you put mortar in between there, wait 30 hours, you're not going to move those things unless you have a bulldozer. They're stopped. They're still. So that you're bringing to a, a halt, an, an absolute standstill, the deeds of your body. See? So that, that's very... So these ministry gifts then, all of them, all eight of them, are a prerequisite before there can be a, restu a restoration of body ministry. It, it's a, the, the functionality, that it, on page two here, the functionality of the eight operations of God, I'm liking it to the five senses. The Lord gave me this way back in 1990 because a lot of people used the hand, that the apostle was the thumb and then the pastor, you know, and then the teacher and the evangelist and the, you know, the prophet and all that. But, but he said, I want you to use the, the five physical senses to, to, to draw an analogy here. And so for the apostle, I, I've chosen seeing, the eye, your eyesight. He's the one who functioned charismatically under the direct commission and authority from heaven. That apostle does that. He, he ensures sound doctrine that its foundation and stability is sure. Also, he can move in. We don't have this in operation today because the office of apostle is very few. 
but, but he also can operate in instantaneous judgment, and that's Acts 5, 1 through 10. I have it written down here, but for lack of time, I'm not going to read all that. You can. That is where Ananias and Sapphira, when Peter, the apostle, walked in and rendered instantaneous judgment and said, you're done. You have lied to the Holy Ghost. We have agreed to that this would be this way. You have lied, so you're done. And I'm telling you, great fear came on the church, especially when his wife came in a couple of hours later, and they asked her the same questions, and she said, oh, yeah, we sold it for this much. He said, the, the, the boys that just hauled out your husband's coming to get you. As soon as they walked through the door, he, she fell dead. They took him out and buried him. That's instantaneous. That, that's an office of an apostle. That's how much power they walk in. You say, well, why isn't it done today? Because I, I, I can name you people that ought to be done that way. But it's not being done because there's apostles today in call, but they are not, uh, as, far as, as far as walking in the power, they're not capable because, number one, they usually don't pray in the Spirit a lot. See, the, all, all preachers don't pray in the Spirit like this. And they're not getting themselves built up to the place where they can function that way. The prophet, I've, I've, I've labeled him as hearing because he hears from the Lord. One who speaks by inspiration and direct revelation, imparting understanding of the divine will of God. That's his job. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 29 through 22, or 32. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For you may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The prophet teaches and admonishes. As I said, in the Old Testament, they foretold stuff. New Testament prophets, completely different, and he foretells. But they do uh, uh, teach and admonish. Acts 15 and 32, it says, And Judas and Silas, being prophets, also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words, and confirmed them. Now there's more that we can say about each one of these offices. We can go into minute detail if we choose, but, but I'm trying to skim over and give you enough to where you can start meditating and studying on it yourself. Uh, and then, of course, the evangelists. I put him as the smeller. Uh, they, they were in the forefront in the outpouring of the, of the Holy Ghost. They were in the very forefront of that. Acts 8 and 12 and 13 says, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. So that was the, that was the evangelist. They are anointed with charismatic gifts and power of the Holy Ghost. The evangelists and pastors mentioned in Ephesians 4.11 are replaced in 1 Corinthians 12 with miracles and gifts of healings. That's why a lot of people miss it. They don't realize that, that the miracles and gifts of healings uh, are, are describing the uh, evangelists and the pastors. See, So you can get that out, and I wish you would at some point get that 1 Corinthians 12.28, maybe even write it all down, and then right here, Ephesians 4, uh, uh, 12 through 16, and, and look at and compare, and you can see there. 
It's not that Paul left them out for the Corinthian church. He just incorporated it in the production of what their gift does. Each one of these five-fold ministry gifts, and, and as well as the helps in the governments, are qualified by certain gifts of the Spirit. See, uh, a pastor uh, and an evangelist will operate usually in the gifts of healings and the working of miracles. The working of miracles and the gifts of healings are entry-level gifts. They're not, they're not meant to be, uh, well, you know, only the great man of God can talk. No, the, a, a day-old Christian, should, baptized in the Holy Ghost, should walk in the gifts of healings and miracles. Uh, because, because it's uh, not been taught on, that's, that's why. So, they're the primary ones that empower and quali uh, qualify, it's a misprint there, the evangelist and pastor, these miracles and gifts of healings. Now, uh, the evangelist, let me say it this way. In the Church of God denomination, when you enter the ministry, you have to go through a step-by-step -step process uh, to be ordained. The very first step is that of an exhorter. And so when you take a test and all this stuff, and, and they, they give you a, I still have mine over there, a little badge or whatever, paper saying, I am a, a, an exhorter. Well, technically, that's all an evangelist is, is an exhorter. An evangelist's message is come to Jesus. A pastor's message is cleave to Jesus. There's a big difference in those two. Y'all get anything out of this? Have y'all ever heard this before? So the pastor then, I've relegated to touch. And I asked the Lord, I said, well, why touch? He said, because the pastor's in touch with the entire body. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the teacher are specific. But the pastor, in fact, when I was using the hand uh, analogy, the pastor was the ring finger. Because he's kind of like he's married to the congregation. In other words, he's in touch with everybody. He feels, your touch in cover, in case it's your whole body. You know, it's your, it's your you know, you can, you can feel your toe, and you can feel the top of your head. So that's why the pastor is there, a shepherd who feeds or oversees the flock and is called to give himself primarily to the Word of God and prayer. That's his primary objective. Uh, Peter's pastoral call is listed in John 21, verses 15 through 18. And we're not going to go over there, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting how that the Lord brought him back to uh, knowing exactly what his job was to be. And then, of course, I want to say here that he is not to function as a corporate president or administrator because he's to give himself to the Word of God and prayer. He can't be uh, inundated with the busyness of ministry and keeping it going and and doing all the business and all that stuff because it'll take him away from the Word of God in prayer. So it's a sacrifice. You either have a pastor that's a real good organizer, which I'm not, uh, or you have a pastor that gives himself to prayer and the Word and teaches the Word of God. You say, well, what's the teacher then? That's the very next one. I'm glad you asked that. Teacher is an instructor, and I put him as taste. One who has been given a special anointing and gift by God to teach the deep things given 
by the Spirit of God. The teacher speaks from a logical standpoint. See, uh, and, I, and I'll take you back to what uh, the Holy Spirit told me. Uh, this was way back in the, in the early 80s. Uh, I, I don't know, remember how I got this. Uh, I'd been praying in the Spirit, uh, and all of a sudden I just wrote these things down real quick and said, he said, that's, that's your job. And that is my call is to expose, which means to set forth by explanation, expedite, which means to execute promptly or accelerate, to expound, that is to make clear the meaning, to explore, that means to examine minutely and search out, and then to expend, which means to consume by use the Word of God. That, that's my calling. Now, many times the gift of teacher and pastor, notice there in the list in, in Ephesians 4, how he lumps those two together. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Because many times they're lumped together. A pastor and a teacher many, many times are together. My primary calling in life is that of a teacher. It's not of a pastor, see. But there are also apostles that can teach the Bible. That, that gift is, is linked up with them as well. Prophets, Brother Hagin was an outstanding teacher. But his primary call was an apostle. He stepped out for 12 years uh, and pastored a church. He said, he said, I knew I wasn't a pastor. I didn't have the patience for it. But, uh, but he stepped out of that. And the Lord told him one time, he said, you need to get into your office and stop, start operating in the office of a prophet. He said, yeah, but I don't want to. He said, it doesn't matter. In fact, he, I forget now, it seemed like he, he broke his arm or something. And uh, the Lord told him, he said, that's, that's because you weren't going into your office. You need, to, you need to start functioning as a prophet. He said, the enemy gained advantage of you because of that disobedience, and you broke your arm. And so when he acknowledged that and agreed to go ahead and, and get in that, guess what happened? His arm was healed instantaneously. So it wasn't that God broke his arm. I mean, what kind of a... Do you think God is the, the Godfather? Is he a mafia? No, he's not breaking people's arms. But uh, anyway, uh, that of a teacher... I put there on your notes the story of the, of the uh, flight instructor. This really happened. This guy took this uh, learner up in a plane, and he was, the, the learner was driving the airplane, and the teacher was sitting over there in the other cockpit. And so something started going wrong with the engine, and the, and the, and the, 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 uh, the, the student was getting very upset and said, well, what am I, what am I supposed to do? He said, I can't, do, I can't fly this plane. I just teach on it. <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of teachers out there in the word of God in the kingdom of God in churches that'll teach but they don't have any experience in fact there's a derogatory term referred to uh, by uh, uh, referred as some teachers as that uh, well you know if you can't preach you just go ahead and teach because see back you know back years ago preaching was that fire hellfire and brimstone and hollering and shouting and all those things. I mean, I can do that. I've done that. That's just not, I'm not comfortable with that. But, uh, you know, if you didn't do that, then they say, well, you know, he bless his heart. He, he's just a teacher. J just a teacher. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, people. I like making sense when I talk. Somebody sent me a prophecy of this woman that was prophesying. She, she, this was December the 4th of 2019. And she, she was 
She was prophesying about Donald Trump. He was going to be reelected, blah, blah. I mean, every other phrase was, glory to God, hallelujah. She'd make another say, glory to God, hallelujah. Glory. Just, I call those filler words. So, uh, so, so, so the office of the teacher is very important. It's a, it's a call from God. It's not just somebody like the, the elders and the deacons are apt to teach. They're to, they're to be, that's, that falls under the category of the Sunday school teacher, which is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, notice there that the teacher is listed above the pastor and evangelist. Now, notice this again. He said, for the perfecting, it's carditurismos, the complete furnishing of the uh, body of Christ. The, the word carditurismos means basically to fit together, to you know, make things join together, uh, to restore, to repair. It's, it's used to restore uh, political factions when you, when you bring harmony. It, it's, it was also a surgical term and a term for setting bones, but also for repairing nets. And that brings us into next week's lesson on mending nets. But uh, this is also used for making military and naval perspirations. Uh, but here in Ephesians 4 and 16, I want you to notice there, it says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. That soon armal avail. That word means... To bring together, fitting together like bricks or blocks. That is the picture of fitly joined together. Now notice the next word. And compacted by that every part. Compacted is sumbazo. It means to coalesce, to bring alongside and, and join with, which every joint supplieth. What could that be? Now, the Bible says there, remember, we are the body of Christ and members in particular. So when you think of a human body, you think of joints, don't you? I'm about to have an issue with one of mine. Well, the, the, the ministry gifts in the body of Christ are the joints. And through those joints is where these, this nourishment comes throughout the body. So... That's what fitly framed mean, and then Colossians 2:19, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Now, 1 Corinthians 1:10 tells us to be perfectly joined together. He said, "I beseech you, brethren." That's the beg word. This is very. When he uses the word beseech, it it raises a flag because that means it's very important. For you to understand how, how, how intense this is. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing. Think about that. Speak the same thing. It's Lego. It's the word Lego. It's joined to, you know, we are to be joined together in our speech. And that there be no divisions among you. That word division is schisma. Which really is like a tear in a garment. A rent, they call it. Or a gap but that you be perfectly joined together in the what? The same mind. It's noose, the word noose. That literally, in this passage here, if you'll look, if you'll punch that little word there, you can, it'll drop down and give you different words that what this noose means. But in this passage, it's really talking about understanding. Think how important that is. That you all be, speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among us, and that we be perfectly joined together in the same understanding. Have you ever heard arguments? Well, the guy says, well, I just don't understand that. 
Well, God wants us to understand these things together. We're to be one in these things. And notice that in the same judgment. The word judgment here is the word, I don't know whether it's pronounced gnome or gnome, but it's G-N-O-M-E. But, but uh, the, the word, I, I call it gnome. It's like those little figures that people put up at Christmas and all that stuff. That's talking about purpose. So he says that you be perfectly joined together in the same purpose. Cool stuff I saw. Yes, sir. The Lord just said to me that he's called specific churches for certain purposes. That not all churches have the same purpose. That's specific. That's talking about what this church is going to do. See? Now, of course, we all have to mature instead of manure so that we can do those things. Amen? <laughs> okay, where we are here. Hebrews 13, 5, uh, 21. That he make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's wanting us to make us perfect. Notice that it's the same word, katalizo, that is in 1 Corinthians 1.10, perfectly joined together. He said that makes you perfect in every good work. Now let's talk about the office of helps for a few minutes. 1 Corinthians 12.28 is where we were reading that from. He said, he said uh, helps and governments. Helps is antilepsis, which means relief. A laying hold of an apprehension or a perception. Uh, laying hold of. When I was meditating this, you'll never guess what scene came across my mind about understanding what this ministry of helps does. How many ever seen Shawshank Redemption? One of my favorite all-time movies. I don't like the language on it, but oh well. But I, I, I watched as Red told Andy, he says, uh, no, Andy says to Red, he said, I hear you're somebody that can get things. That is what the Holy Spirit brought before my mind. The, the, in the office of helps is people that can get things done. Uh, a, a laying hold of or an apprehension a perception they can see in there. Romans 12, 1 through 8. Let's look at that. Uh, let's start with verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Remember me talking about the measure? Prophesy according to, don't prophesy beyond that. Prophesy according to the proportion or ministry. Let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth, on teaching, or he that exhorteth, on exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, and notice this, and he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now inside this verse, he that giveth, is the word 
is the description of the ministry gift of helps. The ministry gift of helps, metadidomy, means to impart. Do you remember another, uh, there's another movie that, uh, that struck me also, and I hate to use that, you know, pardon me for using those illustrations, but it was when uh, Jim Carrey became God. What's the name of it? Yeah, God Almighty. Bruce Almighty. Huh? Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty, yeah. And so the same guy, Morgan Freeman, is God in that movie. And so at the end of the movie, if you'll notice, it, here he is, Morgan Freeman standing out on the street, dressed shabbily, with a sign that says, Help Wanted. And so right there tips us off to understand what helps do. Helps, the gift of helps, helps. It says to do it with simplicity, haplotes. That means without self-seeking. That means to give honestly, give in honesty, uh, to have free, free pretense. Now, what we need to understand here, and I'm not going to go into Matthew 6. You can read that yourself. But there's prayer guidelines, fasting guidelines, and giving guidelines in that, in that teaching that Jesus was giving. And that is the guideline that the ministry of helps needs to understand. The ministry of helps primarily is for the financial contribution to the propagation of the gospel of Jesus here and abroad. That's what their job is. It is to help financially. Now, can you understand how how wrong it would be for us to relegate the ministry of helps to just that of deacons or somebody cleaning the toilets. See, helps, help. And without the ministry of helps, the gospel is lacking. See, and, and because this has not been taught on. I, I, I've never heard this before. Uh, I mean, th 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 this ministry of helps is a God call. Dave Roberson's the one turned me on to this. And, 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 and this, this is a gospel entrepreneur. This is someone who organizes, manages, assumes the risk of a gospel enterprise. In other words, a gospel uh, financier. That's what the Ministry of Helps is. Now listen to me. I was in a church in, in Carrollton, Georgia. Tried my best to work there. Whew, don't even like to go into all that. But God spoke to me and told me that that pastor, he had designated for him to be operating in the, in the gift of helps along with being a pastor. And he said, I wanted to send millions and millions of dollars through his hands. But I couldn't trust him because he was too selfish. You see, this individual went through the war in England and he, he was in abject poverty with he and his family. His brother pastored a church at one point. He's dead now. Uh, in Orlando, Florida, which uh, they ran 7,000 people. So these men really knew how to work the, you know, charismatic movement and all that kind of stuff. But God spoke to me and told me that this man, he wanted to send millions of dollars through his hands. But you see, if you're not matured, I don't care if you are in the ministry, if you've not gone through the stages and allowed the Holy Spirit to mature you and get you to the point where you are not going to be led astray by the lust of money, by the deception of riches, then God will never release that gift in you, even though you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an answer for that, for that gift. What did you do with my gift I gave you? Well, I hoarded it. 
I saw that same preacher, and I hope to God they're not watching this, but I saw that same preacher stand in front of his little congregation. Now his, his, his church would hold 300 easily, and he was down to 40. Stood there and twirled this ring on his hand that was worth 15,000 bucks, just that one ring. I don't care if he has a ring or not, but my God. I mean, these are the same people. I'm just going to do a little rant here, if it's okay. These are the same people that I watched not long before this took place. Not long before the Lord spoke that to me about him. They had this homeless person come in, a young lady, came in for help. And they said, well, we're going to rent you a motel and we're going to give you some money, but you have to pay tithes on that money or God is not going to bless you. Made that poor woman, get, they gave her $100, she had to get 10 of it back. I mean, that's, whew, I could say some awful stuff about that. The deceitfulness of riches is very real. Many, many great people have fallen. So, you can understand why now that this gift has been relegated. The devil has wanted to get money. Do you realize the devil thinks that the riches of the world is his? What does the Bible say? The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we're his kids. And he wants us to have it. But listen, he can't release it to us if we're not mature. If, we, if we're going to be, I mean, God told me one time, I was in Lake City, Florida, and I was playing that lottery. My God, I mean, oh God, please, look what I could do. He said, right in the middle of my praying one day, he said, Jerry, all you would do if you won the lottery is miss me in a bigger way. I hope that's changed now. But uh, but it's so true. You talk about messing up. I mean, money will make you, it'll, it'll, you can mega mess up with money. Uh, when you don't have any, it's not so bad and people don't pay attention. So uh, God wants to send millions through people's hands if, he will, if they will allow him. So the, the help's office is notice here is above that of the government's office. Governments, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, is kubernesis, it's pilotage or dictatorship, not dictator, directorship, to steer a ship. I know some, I know some administrators in churches that are dictators, but uh, it means to steer a ship or a helmsman. That, that comes closer to, to seeing what that is. So, so that supernatural role of governments is people that God has called just as, just as much as he's called the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, helps and tongues, it's just as supernatural. The office of governments is people that can come in. They have the ability, the gifting of God to organize the church, to put people to work, every aspect, keeping the books, everything. That, that is the call of governments. Uh, the, the administrator. Uh, notice in, in Acts chapter 6 and verses 1 through 4. I'm not going to read all of that, but it says there that we may appoint over this business. 2 Timothy 2.24, that he's to be gentle and, and uh, apt to teach. I don't know why she put appoint to teach here. Probably read my writing. Uh, and, and patient. So this is the administrator, Romans 12.8. He that ruleth proistomy. That means to be over or to superintend, to preside over, to be a protector or a guardian. That's a call of God. It's wonderful to have a church big enough to where 
these offices, all of them, can be paid. But uh, I mean, if you if you really have the uh, the office of the uh, of helps in there.